take others and hear through them, pick our minds and think through them, pick our hearts and set them on fire for Christ's sake. So when I was a boy, and um, I don't think I could have been much more than seven, uh, I and my brother and younger sister stayed with my grandma for a few days. My parents were away, they were traveling, I'm not sure what she was. Um, this was my dad's mom. Her name was Pearl. And every memory I have of my grandma makes me smile. Except for one. That time we stayed with her, I had a, I had a cold, I had a chest cold. It was pretty bad, and I was coughing. Locked. And this was my grandmother, and she wanted to do something. She could not do nothing. She had to do something. And so she told me that she was going to give me a mustard plaster. Has anyone here ever had a mustard plaster? All right, you know where this story goes. Well, when she said she was going to give me a mustard plaster, my brother and I both started laughing because mustard is hot, because mustard is for bologna sandwiches. And I gave her squirting a jar of French's mustard. Hippocrates, who I mentioned earlier, 
Why do you call them father of medicine? Physicians still take the Hippocratic oath. But in ancient Israel, no physicians. They had priests. They had prophets. And the reason I think is because it was widely thought that sickness was ascribed to supernatural causes. And this wasn't just a most countries. Illness was understood to be not so much a physical matter, but a spiritual matter. You're sick because you've probably done something wrong. Sin, you brought it on yourself. It was a punishment. It's a judgment. So there's a story in the New Testament. Gospel of John chapter 9. There's a scene where Jesus comes up on a man who's been blind from birth. And the first question that the disciples ask is, who sinned? This man or his parents? He's blind from birth. Someone sinned somewhere along the way. So sickness is a judgment. Well, not clearly God interfered, right? Not clearly God treated whatever remedy you might, you might use. That's why the stories in the Old Testament are almost always about prophets not priests. Prophets had a more unconstrained faith in God. Not everyone was willing to take uh, more chances. In fact, there's a cautionary story in uh, 2 Chronicles 17. It's the story of King Asa. King Asa had a severe disease in his feet. The writer of Chronicles tells us, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians from other kingdoms. And the very next line is, and Asa slept with his ancestors. Coincidence? The writer does not think so. <laughs> now, of course, we still make judgments about sickness and disease. I mean, when AIDS was ravishing the gay community, there were many voices in many churches who were blaming the victims. The thing is, you don't have to go to church to be judgmental. You don't have to believe in God to be judgmental. In our culture, we blame you three and four. You gotta make better choices, you gotta work hard. Politics, we're willing to help people who we think deserve to be helped. People will be sufficiently grateful for the help we will give them. It seems we've always had in us this human tendency to make judgments about sickness, disease, and healing, wellness. And then along comes Jesus. The beginning of his public life, the beginning of his public ministry, Matthew writes, Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. It's telling that Matthew repeats that same line virtually verbatim just a few chapters later, chapter 9. In chapter 9, verse 35, Matthew writes that Jesus went about all the cities and galaxies uh, and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. And so those verses in chapter 4 and verse, uh, chapter 9 serve as a, like a bookend, right? And what's in between is chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And in chapters 8 and 9, a whole series of miracles, Jesus curing every disease. And so this, these verses in chapters 4 and uh, chapter 9 really are the sum and the substance Jesus proclaimed, Jesus announced, described, promising the kingdom of God. The beloved community of God was the poor blessed, and the ones who mourn are comforted, and the hungry are fed. The beloved community of mercy and of peace. And a love that's so pure and so powerful that it can even be extended to our enemies. Jesus proclaims the kingdom, and then he shows us what it looks like. In a world in which so much is so wrong, so much pain, so much grief, 
Jesus embodies, Jesus enacts God's work of healing every disease and every sickness. The gospel is about a king, a beloved community. It's about a way of life together that is whole and redemptive and just and peaceful. Now there's two uh, interesting, I think significant details in, in this summary statement Matthew gives us uh, of the ministry of Jesus. And the first is that he tells us Jesus went throughout all Galilee. Now Galilee is in the north of Israel-Palestine, uh, and even now it's still more of a rural <coughs> agricultural area. Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem, not yet anyway. He didn't go to the capital, which is further south. He didn't go to the center of the capital. Instead, he went throughout all Galilee. He went to families who were dependent on fishing. He went to subsistent farmers. He went to day laborers. He went to the people who were most vulnerable to illness and accidents and disease. If you're dependent on working in a field, Jesus told a number of parables about workers in the field. Illness means unemployment. Unemployment means impoverishment. And that's still true. So this ministry of Jesus is not just the curing of an individual's disease. It's the healing of illnesses that impact a whole array of relationships. Jesus brings compassion and care and the whole making power of God to people's lives and their homes and their communities. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's the poor being blessed with health and resources and opportunities they need to flourish. It's the ones who mourn being blessed with comfort and hope. It's hungry being blessed with the good food and the clean water that they need to be healthy. Jesus went throughout all of Galilee. Now the second interesting uh, detail in this uh, verse is that Jesus cured every disease and every sickness among the people. It's that tendency that we have then and now to blame or judge or withhold care. Jesus is indiscriminate. He doesn't ask sick people what they've done and bring it on themselves. He doesn't demand confession as the price of compassion. God's intention, God's will is healing and health and holiness and holiness for all of us, for all creation. And that's good news. Now, if I'm honest, when I read this, I still want to ask. choices that are not good for their health. Some of you might remember a few years ago, in fact, it was the Friday of our annual retreat at the beach, I made a choice. I took my mountain bike over a jump, and I should have treated it with a lot more respect, and uh, so the stitches, I broke my wrist. That one's on me. We make choices. They have consequences. But the instinct, the impulse, the intention of God is always healing. And there are times that people make choices that are harmful. And there are times that we have to set boundaries. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we can't let our hearts grow hard. We're going to follow Jesus even though we continue to hope and pray for healing and wholeness. And we look more deeply at the systems that keep people impoverished, and we work to challenge the systems that contribute to poor health. Jesus cured every disease. The other question I want to ask when I read that sentence is, why not now? Jesus cured every disease. There are plenty of people I pray for that aren't cured. And I wonder why not. And I don't think there's an answer 
Jesus, the night before he was arrested, prayed for a miracle. Prayed that the faith he knew awaited him would be uh, deferred or, or removed. That cup did not pass on him. When bad happens, we can, when something bad happens, we can call it a chance, we can call it history, or we can just walk away from faith altogether. But what I want to believe is that the healing power, the healing work of God is bigger than just curing the disease or curing the sickness. Sometimes, maybe most of the time, it's not so much taking the pain away, but giving us a way to live through it. So in our ministry today, and, uh, and we use this for weddings and funerals, there's a section on healing. And uh, there's a really helpful paragraph in here about healing that I want to read. When we exercise the healing ministry of the church, we acknowledge that God's healing happens both through and beyond the medical and therapeutic practices prevalent in our society. We acknowledge that we humans are complex beings and body, mind, and spirit work together for or against wholeness in ways we don't fully understand. To experience healing is to be restored to wholeness in body, mind, or spirit to find our place again within the community. We believe healing will happen. We do not presume that God will bring it according to our assumptions. Instead, we remain open to wholeness in whatever forms it may come. Sometimes we are Whatever happens, though, we're always invited to trust God's power to bring healing, to bring wholeness. And we trust that we are all called to be part of this ministry of healing. We're called to be, as Barbara Brown Taylor puts it, doctors of the gospel. We're called to dispense the gospel medicine of care and compassion and mercy and justice. And some of you are literally doctors. You're doctors of medicine, doctors of nursing, doctors of psychology. And some of you are trained as social workers and counselors and therapists and teachers. And for some of us, it's the work of advocacy, social change, and peace building. For all of us, it's the work of prayer. It's the work of presence. It's simply being with God. The work of being a friend. The work of being a neighbor. It's the healing work of following Jesus. Following his way of compassion and mercy and hospitality and loving kindness. We're all called to be doctors of gospel. All of us need healing. Our bodies, our souls, our relationships, our communities. And so this morning we are going to pray for healing. We're going to pray together. Healing for ourselves, our people we're worried about, healing for our city, for our world, and the violence, hunger, and oppression. We're going to pray for God's holy and just peace. So as we get ready to pray now, I invite you to call to mind uh, the pain that you feel, the pain that you carry. Call to mind the pain of people you love, the pain of people in our world, the pain of the earth itself. And then we'll pray for God's healing and wholeness and hope. And there'll be an opportunity in a few moments for you to come forward. And uh, <clears throat> one of the ancient practices of the church, we will anoint you. And this week I was sorely tempted to bring mustard and anoint you with mustard. <laughs> but uh, we're going to stick to the tried and true. We're going to stick with the follow-up.